0: You're listening to Temporary Circumstances, and I'm your host, Alina Sowers, a licensed professional counselor in Ohio.
1: And I'm your co-host, Cora Mayfield, also a licensed professional counselor in the state of Ohio.
0: In this podcast, we're going to share some ideas and things that we've learned that aren't too often talked about in mental health, including some taboo topics, if you will, like death and grief, trauma and PTSD, addictions, and others.
1: We will cover some of the worst things imaginable that happen to people around us every single day. And how we can help them get through those difficult times. The opinions on this shows are ours only and do not reflect any agency that we work for. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're going to talk about domestic violence. Uh, this is a difficult topic for many people, and this topic might be triggering for you. This one might be one you want to skip. Domestic violence, or sometimes it's called intimate partner violence, domestic abuse, or relationship abuse, it's behaviors by one or more people involved in the relationship to maintain power and control over another person also in the relationship. And the National Domestic Violence Hotline reminds us that these behaviors, um, this type of relationship, these situations do not discriminate about anybody's age, race, sexual orientation, economic status, disability, Anybody can be a perpetrator or a victim of domestic violence, and sometimes it's the people you wouldn't expect at all. You don't know what's going on behind closed doors at home. And domestic violence includes behaviors that are physical, sexual in nature. They are things that cause fear without physical harm. The threat of physical harm, the threat of death, all are included in what we consider domestic violence.
0: So one thing I just wanted to highlight from what you said, Cora, is that um, domestic violence can be one or two-sided, meaning that both of the people could be engaging in that power and control over each other. Um, So that is possible. It does happen. I wanted to go ahead and talk about why domestic violence occurs and also why people stay in abusive relationships. Um, I think that there is this idea or this myth out there that if somebody is in an abusive relationship or domestic violence relationship and they wanna leave, they can just do that. Why have they not done it already? Um, It should just be easy to do so. But I think you guys will learn today that the reality is that it's not that easy. So let's talk first a little bit about why domestic violence occurs. Could be a number of things. Things such as learned behaviors, poor ability to cope or control your emotions. Perhaps something in the offender's biology could be part of it as well. And what I mean by learned behavior is that perhaps the individual has seen this behavior before, whether it was their parents um, who were also abusive or if they saw it in some other ways. And in that way, it can be a learned behavior that they're now reenacting themselves. What are your thoughts on that, Cora?
1: One of the things I often see is that the abuser is trying to control the victim or the survivor of domestic violence. Um, I think control plays a big role in domestic violence, and it plays a big role in violence in general. Sometimes when people feel like they are out of control, that their whole lives are out of control, they do whatever they have to do to regain some sense of control. And oftentimes that goes out onto other people, whether that comes from abusive language or physical violence or gaslighting, manipulation. The ability to control this other person makes them feel powerful, makes them feel like they have some sense of control somewhere. And I think this goes along with like learned behavior um, and upbringing. If somebody has spent their whole life not feeling like they have control of their whole, of anything at all, and they've seen other people in their life exert control through domestic violence, through abuse, then they may feel like that's what they have to do. And this of course is not an excuse for anybody who abuses or manipulates another person we just don't put our hands on each other. We don't do it. It's not right. However, this is some of the pieces that we find when we see these kinds of behaviors in another person.
0: I think that's a really important point, Cora. We do talk a lot about power and control when we talk about domestic violence or abusive relationships. And It's important to know, too, that that power and control, it extends to non-physical situations as well. So, for example, financial control um, or perhaps even using children if the couple has children to control. We're going to talk about these a little bit more later on, and we'll also post a resource for you guys on Instagram on our page But I did want to mention that. So it does not have to be physical or sexual control. So I want to take a minute and talk about why people stay in abusive relationships. So some of the signs of an abusive relationship are things such as using coercion and threats, as well as using intimidation, um, using economic abuse, as I just mentioned. So that is having that financial control on people. And all of those things play a huge role in fear. So if you are someone living your life in fear where your partner is repeatedly or consistently threatening you, intimidating you, they are telling you that you cannot get a job and be out on your own, that plays a huge role in that fear. Um, there may be verbal threats out there, or they may actually, there may actually be physical threats, such as putting a weapon to the victim. And there's also isolation that can play a role. Very often we see in abusive relationships that the abuser tries to isolate their victim from their family, from their friends, and that makes it very, very difficult to leave. And if you think about just those two factors, the financial control and the isolation, I believe just those two factors would make it very difficult for someone to leave an abusive relationship.
1: I think there's a few more pieces here. Um, One of them is misinformation. As you mentioned, isolation is nearly always one component of um, intimate partner violence. And when you add isolation plus Misinformation, it's really scary. For example, let's say the abuser has just has created an environment where there is no internet available except when they're paying attention to you, no um, ability to go to social media and no friends, family members. So they have no the only place they're getting information is from the abuser themselves. So let's say in a particular moment of making threats, they say something along the lines of You can never leave me because if you left me, a judge would give me the kids because I have a job. So that threat and that bit of misinformation and no ability to confirm or to research yourself creates an environment where someone is afraid of something that may or may not actually be true. Um, Another thing that I hear a lot myself is, um, in addition to the misinformation, is this idea of... I'm the only one who will ever love you like this. What would you do if I wasn't here to take care of you? You wouldn't be able to take care of yourself. And it creates, it is part of gaslighting, but it creates an environment where the victim doesn't trust themselves to make good decisions, to take care of themselves. They don't trust that anybody will ever care for them ever again. And those can be really huge factors. It creates negative self-talk, negative belief about self, shame, guilt, And that all plays a role in staying in in the relationship.
0: And that's something that I would call crazy making, because that abuser in such situation is literally making their victim feel crazy, you know, and the victim to some sense may feel like, well, what is going on here? I don't feel like all of these things are true. But once you're fed this information over and over again, and you hear it over and over again, you start to believe it. So it really becomes not that easy to get out of that mindset or literally of that physical situation, that physical environment that you're in. One other thing that can play a role in why people stay in abusive relationships is something that's called trauma bonding. Um, Now, trauma bonding is a little bit difficult to explain, so stick with me for just a couple of seconds here. The idea behind it is that it comes from a biological or an evolutionary response so the idea that when we experience really stressful or traumatic events we tend to in a way shut ourselves off from that experience so perhaps we don't recognize it to the full extent or maybe there is a level of dissociation where we even go somewhere else in our head while the event occurs And um, by doing that, we are not, we're noticing much less those traumatic and stressful events that are happening. But when we have the positive experiences, we're also much more likely um, to highlight those positive experiences even more. And so that's why I think often you hear a victim say something along the lines of, You know, well, he did this and that to me, but then he got me flowers. So doesn't that make him wonderful? And you can really see how they've highlighted that positive experience. But what's going on is that they're also shutting themselves off to an extent from that negative experience that had occurred.
1: Um, I I do think it's important to recognize that this is a survival skill. This is a coping mechanism people are using to survive the experience that they're going through. This doesn't make anyone weak. It doesn't make them stupid. It doesn't make them fooling themselves. This is just a survival instinct.
0: Absolutely. And it's something that typically happens on its own, too. So it's not anything that the person has control over most of the time either. Um, So it's a defense mechanism that, that occurs on its own.
1: Some people are more familiar with the term Stockholm Syndrome, and that is similar to what we're talking about here. Along with why it's difficult to leave, we often wonder why people, and I say this with air quotes, although so you can't see them, allow themselves to be a part of a domestic violent relationship. And the the real reason is that people don't realize they're in a violent relationship until they're sucked in pretty far, because the nature of a violent relationship is cyclical; it goes in a wheel, um, and it usually starts with this idea of romance and this person is the perfect mate the perfect partner there's gift giving there's verbal affirmations and everything is wonderful and then starts the manipulation and isolation so everything's great with us but when you allow these other people in things get bad and they start isolating and then it becomes gaslighting and verbal manipulations as far as nobody will love you the way i love you There'll be threats of violence, threats of other things, and then it gets into the violence. And after the violence, then it becomes apologies, gift-giving, and for a while, things are great again. And then it just starts down the other side of the wheel. A lot of times, relationships are like this. And so we've heard the cliche of, oh, he said he'll never do it again, but it's, it's cliche because that is real life. They have that violent episode and then everything is fantastic and there is the apology. There is, I'll never do it again. There is, oh, it was just this one circumstance, the, these excuses for behavior. And if you've been involved in this relationship and you've got this bond with this person, it's hard to, to disbelieve and disprove all of that. I do want to add to that, you know, many
0: times the individual who is the offender in such a relationship when they say that this is the last time when they say that they're going to change some of those times they do mean that they do intend to change but it is part of that power and control and perhaps the environment or the biology that they're dealing with on their end that makes it very difficult That makes it difficult to stop that behavior.
1: I would go so far as to say that many abusers, many perpetrators of domestic violence don't intend to be perpetrators of domestic violence. They're not going out to be manipulative, they're not going out to be violent, they're not going out to punish people. They just have no way of really healthy ways to express their feelings and express their emotions and they need their own help again i'm not giving excuses for anybody who puts their hands on other people for anybody who manipulates other people it's not okay but this is oftentimes it's not intended nobody goes out most people don't go out and say well i'm gonna gaslight this person and then beat them that's not usually the intent
0: right i agree absolutely um with that being said I just wanted to talk in a little bit more detail about what that power and control looks like. So I had already mentioned using coercion or threats. So that can be anything from threatening to hurt the person to threatening to leave them or report them to children's services or even to have them do illegal things. There's also intimidation. We've talked about that some. Um, that can also include things like smashing things or destroying property. There's emotional abu- abuse, Corey, you've talked about that. Um calling the person names, putting them down, making them feel bad about themselves, part of that crazy making. Um, humiliating the person, that can absolutely be a part of it too. The isolation piece, we've talked about some as well. You know, that that one is really scary for me to think about. Because the person may truly want to leave an abusive relationship, but being isolated and having been disconnected from your loved ones makes that difficult, makes it difficult to reach back out to those people, makes it difficult to reach out to anyone if you even have anyone to reach out to at that point.
1: If I can just add something there, a lot of times these are used together So while they're dealing with the isolation, they're also using an emotional abuse and intimidation, saying things along the lines of your mom wouldn't want to hear from you. Your mom wouldn't want to know this about you. And that confuses the situation and makes it difficult to reach out to those people.
0: Right. Exactly. Yes. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, So there's also minimizing, denying and blaming that can play a role in this power and control you know, that minimizing and denying that's that can be done on the part of the abuser where they say things like, oh, this is not as bad as you say it is. Or maybe even say, oh, it didn't happen the way that you recall it. So, again, playing a role in that crazy making, shifting that responsibility of abusive behavior. There may be some use of children. We've talked about that some already. Um, threatening to take the children away. That's a big one there. Um, Using economic abuse. That's another one we've already talked about, but oftentimes that's something that we see where the partner is prevented from getting a job or keeping a job. Um, They're actually told they have to ask for money. A lot of times they may have something along the lines of having an allowance. So all of those things, with all of that being said, I think you guys can imagine how difficult it is to leave a situation where all of these things are playing a role.
1: I do want to add here um, that you mentioned shifting responsibility from the abuser to the victim. Um, different people have different thoughts on this, and I know a lot of times that we, we say when a, a relationship starts going bad there's multiple roles to play but it is never ever ever the survivor's fault if someone is violent that is only the responsibility of the person who makes the choice to be violent if you are in an abusive relationship and the blame is being shifted onto you and you feel on the inside that it is your fault there's something you could have done different or something that you did to push it to the point where you were abused I just want to put out there, it is not your fault. It is never, ever, ever the fault of the victim. It is only the fault of the person who makes the choice to put their hands on someone else.
0: I'm really glad that you mentioned that, Cora. That's something I often talk about. You know, when I work with couples, I often tell my couples that it is almost never um, just a one-sided issue when it comes to couples issues, unless one person is abusing the other person. And uh, and that is really important. There's absolutely nothing that the victim could have done to deserve what they got. Any kind of power and control or violence, there's absolutely nothing that you could do to deserve that. And Cora, yes, again, thank you for bringing that up because the, with that one, the fault is always on the abuser.
1: I think this is actually a good time to supply people with some resources. For example, the National Domestic Violence Hotline is for victims and survivors of domestic violence. The phone number for them is 1-800-799-7233. Or if you have access to the internet, you can actually chat with an advocate on the website. It is www.thehotline.org. The prevention and treatment of domestic violence is something both Alina and I are very passionate about. And since we're so passionate about it, we talked a lot more about it than we thought we did. So at this point, we're going to go ahead and split this into two separate episodes. The next episode, we'll talk more about treatment of and things that you can do to help others who may be involved in a domestic violence situation. I hope you join us for the next episode as well.
0: Thanks for listening to Temporary Circumstances. Leave us a review wherever you found us and comment on anything you want to hear more about or have questions on.